Okay. I am on. Fantastic. So, so, so good to spend this time with you. I'm really delighted. I, I, I wondered what I did to get the pleasure of preaching on Good Friday. Um, and it just so happens that my message really fits into this. So, I mean, last week I was swinging off the chandeliers when I left Pastor Andrew's message. I was like, this is so, so, so good. This is so, so, so good. And then when I was preparing, I thought, ah, God wants to say something. So I think I'll be more excited than you will be this morning. But let's pray and uh, let's get into it. We're going to be speaking about the kingdom. Jesus, thank you that you love to speak. You love to transform our lives. You love to move things around. You love to make yourself at home in our hearts. And this morning, I, I really pray for grace and anointing to, to catch your heart, to hear your words, to transform. Father, I pray for faith to find room in our hearts. I pray that every word that you speak to us, there would be a yes coming from us. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So my message is called The Kingdom Now and Not Yet. Have you ever found yourself in the land between? The land between what? The land between faith and the experiences that don't seem to shift. The land between what you know of God's good promises and the painful reality of your world. I know I have. In fact, it's a silly question me asking you. All of us have. And this is a message about how to live in that place, not only to live in that place, but to thrive in that place. Acts 12, verse 1 to 17, this, this story, every time I read it, I'm both astounded by <laughs> the things that God can do, but I'm also like, wow, I wonder what it must have been like to live this. So let's, let's read it together, starting from verse 1. It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. And when he saw that this met with approval among the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. This happened during the festival of unleavened bread. After arresting him, he put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring him out for the public trial after the Passover. So Peter was kept in prison. But the church was earnestly praying to God for him. Praise God for the church. The night before Herod was about to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and sentries stood guard at the entrance. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Pit Peter on the side and woke him up. Quick, get up, he said, and the chains fell off Peter's wrists. Then the angel said to him, Put on your clothes and sandals, and Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me, the angel told him. Peter followed him out of the prison, but he had no idea that what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. They passed the first and second guards and came to the iron gate leading to the city. It opened for them by itself, and they went through it. When they had walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. Then Peter came to himself and said, Now I know without a doubt that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people 
were hoping would happen. When this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people were gathered and were praying. Peter knocked at the outer entrance, and a servant named Rhoda came to answer the door. <laughs> when she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed, she ran back without opening it and exclaimed, Peter is at the door. <laughs> You're out of your mind, they told her. When she kept insisting that it was so, they said, it must be his angel. But Peter kept knocking, and when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. These were the people who were praying for this to happen. <laughs> Peter motioned with his hand for them to be quiet and described how the Lord had brought him out of prison. Tell James and the other brothers and sisters about this, he said, and then he left for another place. Now, this is such a powerful story of what God can do when the church prays. And uh, it's so astonishing that even the guys who were praying for it couldn't imagine that God could do this miracle in that way. So, I mean, when it happened, they were like, no, 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 it's, it's something else. And even Peter himself, I mean, he had seen Jesus do amazing, incredible things. But it's like only halfway through it that he's like, this can actually happen. And he catches on. And uh, this is so astonishing. I mean, we read this passage of Scripture. <laughs> oh, don't worry. If it, if it opens again, it's fine. The other button is there. Um, <laughs> so uh, it's so astonishing. I mean, we read this and we get caught up and we could almost miss verse 2. Almost miss verse 2. Verse 2 says, But Herod had James, the brother of John, beheaded. You could almost miss it unless you were John, his brother. Yeah. See, John, his brother would have, this would have been a monumental moment in his life, unless you were James's mom. Yeah. You see, in the midst of this miraculous stuff happening, there's this blip that happens, and I can just imagine James, because we've been talking about the kingdom, and, and we, we said the kingdom was where the will of the king is. So we said, you know, like the, the um, believer's prayer. Some people call it the Lord's prayer, but it's for the believers to pray. So the believer's prayer talks about let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so how do you know when the kingdom has come when things look on earth like they do in heaven? Now I tell you what, John could tell you very simply, in heaven, dictators are not beheading apostles. Moms are not left to mourn their death of their young sons. And so for her, this would have been like, what is going on? Her mind would have been swimming, and she was living, like I said, in the land between, where she would have seen Peter miraculously healed. But can I, can, I mean, miraculously delivered. But can I be honest with you? It was probably twice as bad for James's mom that Peter was released. Because such thoughts would have been, why does... Her son gets to come home, but mine doesn't. Guys, can we be real? There are times when you see someone gets a financial miracle and you know it can only be Jesus, but your bank account is on zero. And you say, Jesus, what about me? It's that land between. And my first point really is this. I don't know. You know, you ask, why... <laughs> Why did, why did Peter get released and James not? 
a great answer to say, I don't know. You know, we struggle with that. Let me, let me, let me, we'll come back to this scripture just now, but let me tell you another scripture, and this one I'll just, I'll just dictate. It's from, you know, John the Baptist. There's this moment in John the Baptist's life. Now, John the Baptist was the guy who preached about the coming of Jesus and his kingdom. He saw it before anyone else did. And when it was happening, he pointed and he says, that's the guy. He's bringing the kingdom. And, and he saw revival. He saw people come from all over. I mean, he was so sure of what he believed that he stood against the, the political leaders and the Pharisees and they said, you brood of vipers. You know it's conviction when you start calling people broods of vipers. And, and so this was, this was John, but the, the, the moment happens. John finds himself in prison. And John sends his disciples and he says this to Jesus. Think of it. This is the powerful John the Baptist. He says, Jesus, are you the one who was to come? Or should we expect another? So Jesus called John the Baptist the greatest prophet of the Old Testament. You know what this tells me? The first thing this tells me is the power of pain and disappointment to shake our faith in the things we are certain of. Yeah. I mean, if, if, if John can find his circumstances can make him start to waver, you know, for some of us, honestly, it's not our whole lives. Maybe it's just one area. Maybe it's our marriage. Maybe we felt so much pain, so much difficulty. You know, you're, no one will hurt you like your spouse will. And this is a comment from an, uh, from an unmarried, I'm not unsaved, um, <laughs> from an unmarried person, but, but I've seen it. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Join my mom in praying for me. Um, but, but, but you sometimes get that place where there's so much friction, so much pain, that you wouldn't say it, but you think, okay, Jesus, maybe I won't see the kingdom come in my marriage. Maybe, I, maybe, maybe, maybe I'll, I'll trust some other thing to sort this problem out. You know what? I feel like our country, South Africa, is in the land between. Uh, 94, those of us who were around were so excited. We, could, we, we were certain the hand of the Lord was in, our, was, was in the country. I mean, people said it was going to be civil war, and we were like, no, and we cheered as the country came together. And then 10 years later, we were like, okay, maybe God is still doing something. Today, honestly, I'm shocked at the things I hear come out of Christians' mouths. There is no hope for this country, I hear. Honestly, I, I hear that from people who I so respected in every other area I hear faith except that area. And some of it is maybe the pain of the past, looking backwards and, and seeing that nothing has changed perhaps in, the, in our minds. Some of it is the robbing and the stealing and, the, you know, and, the, and all the stuff we see and we go, what's happening? And you know, in that moment, living in the land between, Jesus' response is very different from ours. Something that shocked me in this passage of Scripture is Jesus' response to John the Baptist. Now, you see, John the Baptist just wants some reassurance because he's seen Jesus miraculously doing things. He knows Jesus' power, and then he says, he thinks, puts two and two together. He looks at his life circumstances. Have you looked at your life circumstances and gone, okay, if God is so powerful, so good, so in control, 
my life wouldn't look like this. You see, John was correct on two of the three accounts. Jesus was so kind. Jesus really cared about him. Jesus was so powerful. Jesus could have changed his situation. He was wrong on the third account. If Jesus was in control, yes, his life would look like that. Do you notice Jesus doesn't answer John's question? You see, I would have given some assurances, wouldn't you have? I would have been like, okay, John, this is why you're there. Jesus doesn't. God doesn't. You know what the moral of the story is? You're not Jesus. You're not God. And that's a good thing. You see, even in circumstances where you're sure God would speak to you, sometimes he's completely silent. He won't explain. Even to his super prophet. He mentions nothing about his circumstances. No assurances. We'll get to this in a second. Instead, you know what Jesus does? Jesus says, Tell him the blind see, the lame walk, the gospel is preached. Then he says, blessed is he who is not offended on account of me. You see, offense often comes when we start to try to fill in the gaps with the Lord's silence. Do you know, so many times things would happen and I'd look at my life and I'd be like, let me, let me since, since, we've, since it's already out there, um, I'd look at my life and I'd go, why am I still single? And then I start to fill in the gaps. And you know, the enemy will provide all sorts of answers in the midst of God has not spoken. And you know what? I've come and I've become comfortable with the answer. I don't know. You know, sometimes we need that. Because you know what? You know what will happen? Offense comes in the place where we start comparing someone else's life. Where we see the power of God and we look at ours and we go, this must mean God does not care. This must mean that God is not present at work in that situation reality not true you know one of one of the one of the things jesus said and we've been speaking about the kingdom one of the things jesus would do he would explain life in the kingdom and he he gave this parable one of the parables that explained what the in between that land in between is and he said this he said there was a there was a farmer who planted wheat in his field and the wheat began to grow and then whilst they slept an enemy came and he sowed weeds and he said the weeds and the wheat were growing together. And then his, his servants came and said, didn't we, just, didn't we plant good seed? And he said, yep, an enemy planted the wheat. I mean, the, the, the weeds. And then the, the, the servant said, should we just go and rip all the weeds out? And he said, no, no, no. Let them grow up together. At the end of time, first the weeds will be removed, and then the wheat will be harvested. And I won't go into all the details of the parable, but you know what stands out there? The first thing is there was an enemy on the prowl, and the, the owner knew that the enemy was sowing the bad seed. But he, for some reason, in his wisdom and in his goodness, he allowed it. When it comes to the kingdom, there will be times where the enemy is at work at the same time as the power and the goodness of God is at work. And we're called to live in that space. My second point, this is how we overcome. Sometimes you'll hear me say that I don't know, and you might hear, okay, let's let be and let God. But that is not at all where I'm going with this. 
Notice verse 5 from that passage that I read. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. Now, can you imagine the church has prayed, let's say, and then James gets killed. And then it describes the church's response and says the church was earnestly praying. I looked at the dictionary definition of earnest, and it says resulting from or showing sincere and intense conviction. You see, the death of James didn't make them think God is not present, God doesn't work. It made them think God is at work, the enemy is at work. Let us pray all the more. You know, that's why Jesus said, focus, he said, he said to John the Baptist, look at who I am, not who I'm not. It's so easy. I've seen this again and again. You go and one blip, one area where you feel God is wor not working can make you forget all the things that God is doing. I've been caught in those places. I, I remember there was a time when I really wanted a touch from God. And, and I, I had never really felt the power of God in, 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 a, in a demonstrable way. So I used to go to all these revival meetings. And to the left of me, people would be falling, laughing, having this amazing time with God. And there would be Fifi. I tell you, I was so offended with God. I was like, God, okay, God, I've, I've repented, I've cried out, I've, and my focus was constantly on, God, what, you're not, you're not touching me. And then one time, this is what happened, literally, I kid you not, I was in the kitchen, there was another revival meeting, and I was like, this is going the same way. I mean, I had, I had, traveled, I had traveled to East London, I had traveled to somewhere in the, I mean, it was so obscure, um, you know, there's this COVID from Rendsburg had this, this big thing somewhere out in the sticks. And we had traveled all the way from Grahamstown because I was hungry. And so this had been like eight months. And I was sitting in the kitchen with a bunch of people and we were having another revival meeting. And there I was again. And then I really said, I really heard, I heard the voice of the Holy Spirit say, will you trust me? And I was like, what? And I realized I had been focusing on what he, had not, he was not doing. And I sensed a, a little bit of warmth. And I was like, okay, Lord. And when I said, okay, Lord, bam! <laughs> the power of God hit me in that kitchen and people were like, who's he? <laughs> and, and it was just this idea of it's so easy to focus on the wrong thing. The land between is a place of submission the will of Jesus, not to darkness. We never become comfortable with the fact that there is darkness in our midst. It's not that we, we deny there's darkness. It's we, we, we say we don't know why this is here, but we're going to stand. You know, you look in the book of Revelation, and, and, and this is, I've been... I've been di diving into the book of Revelation for the last maybe uh, year and a half. Um, you know, the beginning of lockdown seemed like a great time to start reading Revelation. <laughs> <laughs> so, but one of the things about Revelation is Revelation gives us such a beautiful picture of the kingdom because Revelation starts with this picture of the glory of Jesus, this beautiful blinding picture of the glory of Jesus, and it ends with this 
time at the end when everything is as it should be. It says where, where all the tears are wiped away, and then it shows the period in between. And in the period in between, there's a lot of stuff that is really difficult happening. But as I was studying the book of Revelation, you know what I realized? The message of the book of Revelation is not that in the middle it's really dark. It's that it's brightest in the dark moments because you see the glory of Jesus and the power of his church. You know, some of us, to be honest, and this is me, I hate difficulty and suffering. I hate challenges. I, I wish the kingdom of God would just come right now and I would be married and happy with, with a, a million dollar budget and we could just plant churches and everyone that I shared the gospel with got saved. <laughs> Great vision, but, but that's not reality. The reality is there is darkness. We push in, we, we fight. And, 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 and what Jesus says, and the key word in the whole book of Revelation is overcome, overcome. Over. Some, some translations is conquer. But the idea of conquering is not always what we think about when we think of conquering. You see, there's this, there's this church, the church in Smyrna, and Jesus says to them, <laughs> he introduces himself and he says, I'm the one who died but was alive again. So he talks about his crucifixion. And whenever Jesus does that, every letter that he writes to the churches, he starts off by describing a part of himself that they need to know for their circumstances. And he says to them, this is what you need to know. So for some of you guys who are going through really difficult situations, the first thing you need is a revelation of Jesus who understands and has felt that. But then he speaks about overcoming. And, 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 and the idea is simply this. Hold on. See, I'm, I'm going to end this message with, with two pictures. But let's start off with this picture of Jesus. I mean, he, sa he, says, to the, he, says, to the church, he says to the churches, some of you will be thrown in prison, or worse, and then he says, but hold on, even if you have to die, right? How could Jesus say that to them? I mean, that's not a prophecy any of us wants to hear, right? I mean, that's, that's the prophecy where, like, I'm finding another church, <laughs> right? But, 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 but you know why you can say that? Look at, look at, look at this picture. In, in Revelation, somewhere near the beginning of Revelation, this is how Jesus is described. So the Apostle John says they were looking for someone to open the scroll. That is, someone to push forward the purposes of history. And he says, and then the, the, an angel says to him, don't cry, the lion of the tribe of Judah has triumphed. And he thinks, okay, the lion of the tribe of Judah has triumphed. He turns around. What do you think he sees? A roaring lion? No, he sees a lamb as though it had been slain. Which one is it? A roaring lion or the lamb who has been slain? Which one triumphs? Which one overcomes? Both. You see, we, we overcome at moments where we, we lay our hands and we see the power of God instantly heal someone. And we triumph at the moment where we stand and we say, I'm going through it, but Jesus will come through. I'm going to keep walking. A, a young man called me yesterday, and I mean, we spoke, and his life is going through unmentionable trials. And in the moment, I said to him, Bruh, I think the enemy is discouraging you because you feel like you're not making any ground. You feel like you're beaten up and you failed. And I said to him, You don't have to roar, you just have to keep walking. You just have to keep on holding on to the sword. You, that is going, there's a cheer going out for that. And so I end this message with two pictures from the Old Testament. 
And both of those pictures for me are a picture of overcoming. One of them is Joshua. When Joshua, there's a moment where they're chasing the enemy down. And it says that they needed to completely destroy them. So Joshua said, sun stand still. We're like, come on, Lord. Do the sun stand still. Wouldn't you love to see that? That that miracle boggles my mind. But there's another picture in the Old Testament that I want us to see. It's just as kingdom and just as powerful. And it says this. It says there's there's a man called Eliezer. And what happens is they begin to, uh, the enemy, the Philistines begin to attack. And all of Israel leaves. And Eliezer decides, these are my lentils. It's a field of lentils. So it says he stands there in the field and the, the enemy is coming wave after wave, painful wave after wave. And Eliezer doesn't advance. I mean, there's two, the enemy is just all around. So what he does is he says, I mean, somewhere in his mind, he's probably going, I'm going to kill as many of these guys as I can. So he's there, hour after hour, and it says eventually he slaughters them all. And he says his his hand is stuck to the sword. I want you to see the picture. There's probably blood dripping. He's there. He can't release the sword now. He's just shaking, and he's standing there. But he's standing. Friends, this is sober message in the sense that some of us are going through it. If we're not going through it, some of us will be going through it. <laughs> it's reality. Jesus said it, so I, c- I feel free to say it. Um, and, and, the, and, 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 and what Jesus will call us to do sometimes is in the midst of not knowing when this will end, not knowing why this is happening, to take our stand. We may not have courage to take a step forward, but we can stand. We can keep our eyes on him who has been through it, who has died and risen. And there's power to stand. Friends, this is how we overcome. You know, at the end of history, Jesus is going to cheer our miracles of power, but he's also going to cheer our miracles of perseverance. Jesus is going to honor the church that goes, I'm still praying. It's 10 years later, <laughs> but I'm still praying. It's 15 years later, but I'm, I'm still standing. I'm still believing. Friends, I want to pray for us that we won't only be a bold faith church, but we'd be a deep faith church. That it will take so much for the enemy to shift us from our rock he'll realize it's not possible. If you guys would stand with me, I'd just love to pray that. I'd love to pray that some of that perseverance, some of that grit. Jesus, I I thank you that we are, we are people who are called to show forth the kingdom in the land between. And Jesus, where we've become distracted or offended by things that haven't gone the way we thought they would. Jesus, we come and we say again this morning that you are our hope. You're not asleep, that this is part of the journey, that even as we stand, we will see the glory of God. Jesus, I pray that you would wake up again the places where we've taken our hands off the sword.
Jesus, I pray that you would stir up hearts of prayer again. Where we stop knocking on heaven's door. Jesus, you're the one who overcame. You're as good today as you ever have been. If you just put your hands in front of you, and that's just a, it's just an open posture. Jesus, there are many things we don't know, but there are some things that we do know. We do know that your kingdom overcomes. We do know that you are with us and you've always been with us. We do know that you're not leaving us. We do know that your promises are true. We do know that even if we, as we stand, we would see the glory of Jesus. Jesus, we do know that your power is available on our behalf. So Jesus, we come and we, we bring ourselves and we say, Jesus, speak and show yourself strong in our midst.